Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast today. Today isn't even going to be a podcast. Today's going to be a cruise cast. I'm just going to talk about Tom Cruise, all things Tom Cruise from 1981 to 2001. My favorite actor pretty much of all time, I'd maybe say Clint would be up there, Stallone, Burt maybe, but Cruise was my generation's coolest guy, man. He was everything. He was from the minute he showed up, he was like, and I kind of, I wouldn't say I look like Tom Cruise back then. I mean, not, now I, I look like fucking uh, Mel Sharples now or something. But uh, back in the 80s, you know, I had that, that's a little pat, and I was like, back in the 80s, um, I kind of had that dark hair, and I was a white kid, and I was kind of that East Coast pallor or whatever, and I could quaff my hair kind of like, and that was the thing, I would, every step of the way, I'd like, I looked up to him, and I thought that's what adult life was going to be like, I was there for the whole journey, man, and he was like my idol, like, I just worshipped Tom Cruise, and would try to model myself after him, and act like him, I even tried to, like, change my voice to some degree to act like Cruise, and the happiest day of my life was, like, 1991, Vic Shop and Save Pittsburgh, I was a cashier, and I had some bad Paisley shirt tucked into my my dockers or whatever the fuck I was wearing and I had this bouffant of hair that I quaffed to an appro approximation of his hair in Rain Man and these two giggly teenage girls came in they're like oh my god he looks like Tom Cruise and I was like floating out of there on a cloud you could have just shot me that day and I would have gone out happy but Tom Cruise from the moment he showed up man I mean endless love kind of neither here nor there and that like doing that bad uh he's got no shirt on and those short shorts which is probably why he doesn't want anyone seeing that movie because he looks so dorky in it but uh <laughs> but from taps on it's just pure cruise he's like the embodiment of america he's the all-american kid he's so positive he's like tony robbins you just watch him and he puts you in a good mood you're like i just watched a tom cruise movie i'm gonna go be positive now he's always the best at least in this era this is before we got to like meta tom cruise alien tom cruise uh dark or Tom Cruise in the 2000s and beyond then he just became like you know sainted eunuch action guy in the last five ten years with the Reachers and Mission Impossible and going back to uh Maverick but this is going to be about my Tom Cruise June uh my Tom Cruise journey um Kind of starting with Taps, probably the first time I saw him, first time most people remember him was The Crazy Kid. Uh, this movie, I was like nine when I first saw it, so it didn't really didn't really register. It was, it was that 1983, the year of Cruise. You were like, who is this awesome kid? He just showed up. He's, so, he's like in everything that year. He was in Losing It, going south of the border to uh, see the donkey show. With and I, I like that because it had my wacky buddy from the Bad News Bears, Jackie Earl Haley in it. So it was like Cruise, Jackie Earl Haley, had Cougar from Top Gun, John Stockwell, who I knew from Christine because um, I didn't see these till they came on HBO, basically. But going to going south of the border, oh, that little adventure, that was a Curtis Hansen movie, and then All the Right Moves. Man, that was, like, huge because I was in Pittsburgh by then. And it no movie has ever nailed the aesthetic of where I grew up, Just the, especially in that era. That was, like, when all the steel mills were closing down and the factories and stuff, and that's all these towns had going for them was football, and they were pumping out these kids who were, like, NFL worthy jocks and Cruz was Stefan Georgievic and his kid has his hair has that like wet look in it and uh, he does the 62 stack monster and rushes the TV and he's got his buddies and Craig T. Nelson throwing the garbage on his lawn that was a huge movie to me in that era and obviously the outsiders you got the gangs all here man you got Swayze you got Dylan you got Emilio you got uh, Machio you got C. Thomas Howe you got Rob Lowe and then Cruz kind of in that weird era where he had the crooked haircut and the buck teeth and he just was still kind of awkward and finding his way um 
And then Risky Business, like my favorite high school. There's other high school movies that, mean, you know, I related to a lot. Like, there was the, you know, that's like the John Hughes era and the horny teenager era with like screwballs and Last American Virgin and everything. But Risky Business was seemed like an adult movie. It was uh, in Chicago at night, this great city with like big ass buildings and Rebecca De Mornay is this hot prostitute and Cruz trying to, you know, he's had business aspirations and he was just like, you know, kind of a fast talking kid and he was smoking the Marlboros. He had the soft pack and we'd put one in like it, it should have been a Marlboro red, but it didn't have the filter. Cause it was obviously a prop sig for Cruz. And yeah, I would even try to smoke like him in that. I would, I bought soft pack Marlboro for a while and I would put it in my mouth and I would try to jam the filter way up into my lips. So you didn't, you only saw white, not getting that they, there was just a phony cigarette for him, but I was trying to emulate the, the amount of uh, whiteness you would see on the cigarette versus the actual butt. Cause I was that into Tom Cruise and he had the tangerine dream music and the part on the train ah, it was like my favorite high school movie that i mean fast times is way up there too but fast times is like a downer abortion drama with sprinkled with moments of spicoli funniness but for the most part it's this kind of sad tale of this like awkward girl trying to lose her virginity with this jackass demone and uh it has a party atmosphere in, in spots but it's kind of a it's kind of like a, an upsetting movie in some ways, whereas Risky Business was just pure aspirational. And this is like Cruise in the 80s. It was no coincidence. This was like the Reagan era of like Alex P. Keaton and whatnot. These like snappy, fast talking, you know, uh, suburban white kids um, who just wanted to be rich and get laid. And the Cruise journey, like through Cocktail, through Rain Man, you can really follow that. And that's what, at least to me, that's what you were supposed to do, man. Just... <laughs> just be Tom Cruise apparently but uh then you know you get legend and legend you got the hair winged out man that was like Cruise that hair like it was I had this hair that was I said I could kind of make it shape like his and I would do when I'd watch a losing it I would like try to make it pushed in my face a little bit to be like losing a Cruise um, by the way I have like names for all these movies like it wasn't losing it it was cruising it it wasn't all the right movies it was all the right Cruise you know Cruise tail um Cruzoli yeah he can pretty much his name is so powerful when you go to see his movies it's not in IMAX it's in Cruise man just that name like cruise and there's that poster for days of thunder that says cruise like thunder it's just it's just that name it just says everything the fact that his name is cruise it's like when i wanted to be an actor and i came to la i thought about changing my name to mike glide like it just sounds kind of it sounds like you know ky jelly or something but it sounds kind of not not as cool as tom cruise but i thought mike glide because it was two syllables like brad pitt tom cruise mike glide was gonna like slide in do some acting you know um but Cruise, that name is so powerful. And then Legend, he had the long hair. It's all winged out. He's got the the old school Ridley Scott lighting plan. And uh, obviously, it's not a totally successful movie, but I just because just of his hair, and I would try to grow my hair a little long. And my mom was an Italian barber, basically. And she would get so mad about, I don't like hair in boys' faces. It makes you look effeminate. And I wanted to grow my hair long. And she would never let me until I, finally I moved out, of, you know, on my own at 23. I was like, it's time to grow my hair long. And then, of course, I went bald and it never worked out. But Legend was the idea if no, nothing else about that movie is great I would watch it just to study that quaff because it was especially mind-blowing that a kid that you knew as a short hair kid would suddenly have long hair and it still looked awesome like it's one thing if you're Kurt Russell and you kind of always have the permanent hockey mullet but the idea of going from the traditional Tom Cruise chop cut thing that he has with the little side part and then suddenly anyway this whole thing is not going to be about Cruise's hair let's move on Top Gun oh, oh man that was like seismic I mean it's uh, such a to you know such an iconic thing but so of that era that reagan might makes right patriotic you know beach volleyball guys being guys um 
the the Kenny Loggins uh, song that was basically required in that era. Guys, you know, on the beach, hey, playing with the boys and whatnot. That movie was so big that kids were... Remember there was like a great Bob Goldthwaite bit about like dumbasses joining the military looking for Kelly McGillis and they end up scraping a barnacle on the side of a ship. Like, where's my airplane? That's totally what it was because when that thing hit suburban Pittsburgh, every kid was like, I'm going to be a fighter pilot. I'm going to be a fire, fighter pilot. Including my best friend who was an aviation buff. The kid, I wrote this story about having Ted Danson's hair one and his dad was this John Wayne hard on, uh, you know, hey, boys, let's get in here and have some toast before it starts to smoke. And, and he was he loved airplanes and aviation. And so they, those two guys were like model aviation guys and would build these RC planes and whatnot. And I would hang out with them just to have something to do. They were like over the moon about crews. And my buddy was like he wouldn't he wanted to be a Navy pilot from then. Eventually he didn't. But because uh, he got married young. But that's like it inspired him to want to be a pilot and all the. They showed one day in my school, height of the 80s, like probably early 87. It was when I was in eighth grade, a few months after Top Gun came out. They had one of these ridiculous, like, just say no. Uh, uh, what do you call that? We all go to the auditorium. And we were in eighth grade, and everyone's like, you know, just say no, Nancy Reagan, stay away from drugs, be positive, be athletic and stuff. And everyone was just like giving it the stroke off emoticon and everything. And then for some reason, the little montage they showed was started to be set to mighty wings the cheap trick song from the end of you know the the classic cruise and i just started like they you know all the clips started to show of tom cruise like riding the motorcycle pumping his fist and everything and kiss the silhouette kiss with Kelly. and this girl belovitz behind me belovitz everyone in pittsburgh's polish she stood up she's like oh my god he's it's tom cruise ah and she starts screaming like it was Beatlemania, like they were in the Ed, we were in the ed sullivan theater like girls it's hard to believe that now because like i said he's like that asexual saint eunuch in all these movies where he gives, you know, he says farewell to like Annabella Wallace or uh, Kobe Smolders or um, Rebecca Ferguson, Michelle Monaghan. He barely gives him a little handshake and a tip of the hat. See you in the next lifetime. Like he's an old West cowboy too, uh, too uh, dignified to get down and dirty. But uh, in that era, like girls thought he was like a hot dude. He had all this chemistry with like Leah Thompson, with Kelly McGillis, with even Nicole Kidman and days of thunder with Mary Elizabeth master Antonio. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird, you know, cause he's become, I don't know. He's become so huge. Sometimes someone gets so famous, like kind of like Taylor Swift is sort of asexual in a strange way as she got more and more famous. Um, uh, but it was, he was considered like girls dreamed about him one time to even to stave off a beating that same school year. I, I made up a lie that I was Tom Cruise's cousin and my biggest bully was like, Oh, Whoa, he's Tom. Are you really Tom Cruise's cousin? Like he was so big to us, to, to teenagers in that era <laughs> and color of money, I think was the first movie I saw. Uh, cruise with with my mom and she she was kind of resistant to the magic of cruise because my mom my mom being an east coast italian catholic lady she like she kind of likes a little different type she likes a tall sandy california drink of water i don't know why she likes a, a lanky cowboy like kevin costner she was over the moon for and clint eastwood i guess that's just her type or whatever and the fact that cruise was kind of diminutive in height i mean he's i think people oversell the height thing but he is a little shorter in stature and she's like he's too short to be a movie star i don't like him he he acts like a little boy he acts like a little boy my mom it was always a lot of arguments me trying to convince my mom the magic the glory the power of tom cruise but when we saw color of money she's like he's really good in that you know he's really and color of money is great man it's underrated scorsese it's got that slushy big pink cadillac snowy winter fill it whatever where's the take place philadelphia i don't even remember big you know the eric clapton the way that you lose it song use it song and uh the paul newman going to a shop for new eyeglasses and my favorite scene in pretty much any movie 
um, when uh, Forrest Whitaker hustles Fast Eddie. It's not even a scene with Cruz, but just as an aside, that scene is amazing. It's great acting by Newman when he gets hustled. It's great acting by Forrest Whitaker when he lets him in on it. And he goes, you know, he, Newman's like, how do I let myself get hustled like that? And uh, Whitaker's like, let me ask you a question. Do I need to lose some weight? It's just perfect writing by Richard Price. It really, that scene really hits me. I don't know, because I was a doughy kid or whatever. Contrary to my crew's like uh, hair, um, I was I, I didn't have his physique, I guess. But uh, yeah, my mom liked that. And he's very Sean Penn like in that. He's very magnetic. He's a little hammy, and he's he's like kind of streetwise and cool in that in a way that he's usually my you know our all American Boy Scout apple pie guy who's going to be the best pilot, going to be the best car car driver, or whatever. Obviously, he's the best pool player in this. But uh, yeah, there was an edge to him in that. That finally, my mom was like, okay, I get it. Now he had that that big quaff of beefaroni hair that was blow dried <laughs> that he would slick when he would, or he would do that move when he would go around the pool table. Uh, Rain Man, another one was, well, no, 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 we got to, I just skipped one cocktail was in the mix, which was probably the lightest flakiest, dumbest movie he was in, in that era. But I still think it's fun. It's got great rapport with Brian Brown. It's got uh, Kelly. Uh, what's her name? Kelly Lynch's ass in that string bathing suit. And, uh, the Elizabeth shoe dumping macaroni on his head. And speaking of his hair, and I'm not going to keep going back to the hair over and over, but I was so mystified by this fact when I was 15, because he was clearly doing reshoots on Rain Man when he made this movie. Um, Cause for most of the movie, he's got a kind of a shorter crimped curled cruise hair. And then toward the end, he starts having a mullet length, like his Rain Man. Th- it was clear he did reshoots, but I didn't get it, man. I didn't, I wasn't that sophisticated about how they did these things. And I was like, his hair's so magical. Sometimes it's just long in the back. And I would try to like make mine poke out like the major leaguers would have it just to be a little more cruise. And then Rain Man, he's got that awesome bouffant basically, but that's the one like him and uh, Dustin Hoffman just, I, I've come around to thinking the cruise is just even better in that movie than Hoffman. Hoffman's great at it, but I think it's a movie of its time. And we didn't know that much about spectrum or autism. It's amazing. Now we think of how many, people we work with people whose kids we know people we interact with who we know are on the spectrum and they're totally you know there's gradations and levels of these things but and i'm sure hoffman did the research i'm sure he didn't pull this performance out of his ass or whatnot but uh, today it looks like he's going real big with it in a way that i don't know if that's aged that well but Cruz is aged perfectly and they got that barry levinson who i think is kind of underrated a lot of the stuff barry levinson does in this is really clever you know, camera work and stuff in that montage at the Caesars Palace when they're coming down the elevators and shopping and all that, and that booming Hans Zimmer music, just great. I mean, it's probably a movie that's of its time, and anyone watching it today would probably goof on it. I'm sure some like film Twitter kid with Fan Fan La Tulip on his Criterion channel would smirk at it, but for me, it was a big deal, and Cruz, Cruz, Cruz is like making the deals in it. It's also a little trivia. One of two movies where Cruz smokes, and it looks like he's got a pack of Carlton menthols going in that, hotel, that motel scene. Uh, Valeria Galino's beautiful in this movie crew's always getting the hotness he's fast talking he's got the shades um he's like he's making deals like i said and then by the end you really believe that he's had this turnaround i think you know by nature of what he's playing hoffman can't make more than a very incremental uh emotional journey in this movie but Cruz is like full three-dimensional uh performance just great in it i would actually point to that as one of his best movies or best performances for sure Born on the 4th of July, man. He's got the fake wigs. He's got the fake stash. He's got the love it or leave it. Love it or leave it, Tommy. Love it or leave it. You know, he's all positive. And that movie plays up against this big, over-the-top, hysterical Oliver Stone aesthetic of, 19- of the 1980s. You know, when he was just king, man, it's so hard 
to explain today how big Oliver Stone loomed over, at least for me, those are the years I was in high school, those are the years I was going to college for film. Oliver Stone was big, he was bombastic, he was kind of insane. And then you meet people who are older, who are all kind of like, have this allegiance to the truth or whatnot, or journalistic integrity, and they hate that he takes all these liberties, and his movies are kind of crackpot and go on these tangents. And, you know, if you're a news junkie or whatever, Oliver Stone will make you apoplectic. And a lot of film Twitter, a lot of film Twitter guys, there's a, or film theorist guys in general, they only like American movies to be uh, a certain certain tone or they want them to be junkie driving. They really hate a big bombastic American. There's a lot of guys who hate like Ridley Scott or hate Christopher Nolan or hate Christopher Nolan's not American. Whatever. <laughs> he has nothing to do with this. I'm just on a bullshit tangent here. But anyway, Oliver Stone is the epitome of a divisive director who there's always going to be some old like my film professor, Dana Poland. Was it him? Yeah, it was him. And he's a wonderful professor at NYU. And he's like, uh, if you want to see an Oliver Stone movie, just hit yourself in the head with a mallet. And I was like, yes, that's what I want movies to be. Big and insane and bombastic. And I don't give a fuck if there's any journalistic integrity. I just want insane hugeness and and uh, heightened emotions. And, and anyway, Born on the Fourth of July is very much that. And it, but it uses Cruz's uh, all-American, like Top Gun kind of uh, persona to ed edge us into that as he's Ray Kovic. Roy Kovic? Ray Kovic? Roy Kovic? I don't have my notes. You know who I'm talking about. Ron, Ron Kovic. Jesus, man. Jesus. I apologize. From Massapequa. That's why all the Baldwins are in the movie, minus Alec. But Alec was in talk, talk radio. See? See how my mind works? This this is probably like pure spectrum, this rant. I hope anyone's making heads or tails of it. But uh, yes, Tom Cruise. And then he, you know, after Vietnam, he's paralyzed and he's got the, the winged out uh, balding mullet. And he kind of looks like David Crosby with that hog stash. And I would argue maybe he's was still a little young and coarse to, to nail some of the parts of this. And it's never more evident than when Willem Dafoe shows up and like, who's a better actor than Willem Dafoe? Like nobody. The guy's just amazing and raw and everything he ever does seems real. And when they they get to Mexico and I think Sizemore's down there and all these sleazy characters and he's drinking the mezcal worm and he can't get it up for the prostitute. And then when uh, Defoe and Cruz are at each other's throats and get dumped off on the side of the road and just throwing out horrible racial slurs and just saying that most heinous shit, Cruz is really good and he's doing everything he can to hold his own there. But man, uh, Willem Defoe is just amazing and satanic in that scene. It's really great acting. Uh, Days of Thunder, like I said, cruise like thunder. He's got the mellow yellow. He got all the product placement. You got Russ Wheeler, Carrie Always, you know, the obvious Iceman. And Michael Rooker, actually, Michael Rooker is like fake out Iceman, but he turns out to really be Goose. And then Russ Wheeler is the real Iceman in that. Uh, I love it. I mean, it's I love Tony Scott's sports movies like The Fan with this phony baseball where they're trying to murder each other on the field. And uh, uh, Last Boy Scout where Billy Blanks takes out a gun. <laughs> He's making a killer run, too, man. He was he was heading for a touchdown. He just starts shooting shooting everybody like and then this you got car racing where everyone's in their 1990 lumina destroying each other's cars like it's death race 2000 which then because of this movie like i said i was like i'm gonna get into nascar because so i can be like cold trickle and then i watched it and i was like where, where's all the rubbing is racing you know but um I think he has a lot of chemistry with kidman in this and uh, i love the character of cold trickle i love this detail that um it's Robert Town writing it, and he's like, he's sort of like a, a limited guy and knows he's a limited guy that he's not really that bright. And he says, you know, I know how you put me behind the wheel of a race car. There's nothing I can't do with a race car or whatever. But he's like, he knows that, um, he's like, I don't know the term terminology. I'm stupid or something. He's like, he doesn't understand the vocabulary. That's kind of how I am about certain things. Like I can, you put me in front of something, I can do it, but I can't tell you how I got there. I have like a blank 
thing. And I always felt a little bit, see, as usual, I felt better about myself because of Cruz. He just made me positive. Um, far and away, we can, we can safely skip this one, right? Now, even though it's directed by my wonderful Twitter friend, Ron Howard, um, it's not one I go back to a lot. But he's, you know, he's in shape, he's jacked, and he's doing the bare-knuckle brawling. And the movie's super Irish. It's so Irish, it makes you want to get a pen knife and cut a bar of Irish spring and bite into it. But uh, I, I wouldn't say I go back to that. It was a little underrated, maybe, but I honestly haven't seen it in 30 years, so don't take my word on that. Obviously, Few Good Men is like classic cruise, man. You got the mono mono with uh, Jack Nicholson, and he's... Uh, He's got all his cruise moments in it, like the Rocco Clubbo School for Women. And should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid? And he does a lot of big cruise. He's big in that, like, he's always eating or always snapping around. He's like, where's my bat? I think better was my bat. He's, like, doing maximum antics, maximum cruise at all times. Um, and then, of course, the big, uh, you know, what's the, uh, you can't handle the truth. So I want the truth. What? Just... It was so big. I mean, it's, the, again, kind of Oscar bait movie. If they make it now, it is like the Chicago 7 movie, which is just like we watched that and we're like groaning. So maybe we would have groaned at Few Good Men. But I think it's like Sorkin's, I don't know. I don't like, I don't love a ton of Sorkin stuff, but I think in this case, compared with, you know, combined with the Cruz and the Rob Reiner and the big Jack Nicholson, I think it's just like, just really a sturdy court courtroom movie that holds up really well. Definitely a rewatch mainstay. You get the firm, you got Cruz, uh, get the worst piano score of all time like i think i liked the firm when it came out and I've, when i've tried to watch it recently that god awful like clamoring like clattering piano racket from david shire it's like can you please turn off this terrible music but uh and it's also the movie where ed harris uh, proves that not all guys with sides look good bald because he looks like a jar of uh hellman's mayonnaise with that shaved head in it but uh yeah it's cruz you know he's getting out of law school at age 36 or whatever he is he's married to Ginny Triplehorn, who looks like she's 40 she's beautiful but she looks like she's 43 and he's like they're a young couple fresh out of law school you know getting started in life and Cruz looks like he's pushing 40 but um yeah I, I mean it's it's Gene Hackman he cheats on his wife with uh Kareen was it Karina Lombard or something who ended up in Legends of the Fall but uh yeah it was like a uh, Sidney Pollock you never really go wrong there uh 94 you got an um, interview with the vampire I don't really watch a ton of that but I liked it in its time it's got that great Neil Jordan 90s you know Neil Jordan movies always look like they make you want to drink a cup of coffee and they're in this like forest green murk sheen and I guess if you were a lady or a gay dude that's got to be like your favorite you got your bonanza of hunks there with Cruz Pitt with his flowing hair Antonio Banderas and uh uh, Christian Slater. <laughs> I'm sure Stephen Ray rolls through at some point. If anybody, if anyone's more in that lane, but uh, yeah, I liked it a lot. I don't, I don't watch a lot. It's got a little Kirsten Dunst part. She was really good for a kid actress in that. Um, I don't go back to that one very much. And then obviously '96, we got Maximum Cruise. You got two classic Cruise movies. You got Mission Impossible. Cruise possible. You got uh, you know, John Void is the villain. You got the Kittredge guy. You got the the the, the aquarium. The Brian De Palma machine. You got. Uh, Emmanuel Bayard, who should have done more stuff. She's really, really pretty in that. Um, uh, and then you got Ving Rhames, John Renault, of course, and then Ving Rhames, who Ving Rhames has got to be up there with Bruce Boxleitner getting the Tron Two phone call, where he's when they called him back for more missions, he was like, Whoa, you, "You guys, you guys serious?" <laughs> He's like, he's like, oh man, thanks. I was gonna do Undisputed '73 direct to video with, uh, you know, with Stephen Dorff, but you know, yeah, sure, I'll go, I'll go be in Mission Impossible Eight or whatever. Um, but yeah, and he Cruz got, had the, uh, you know, the classic mid '90s haircut. The one, two, three of that haircut was like Friends, Matthew Perry. Although that wasn't until the second season, which nobody remembers. Uh, and then they had that guitar. Who was it? Who was playing on MTV? Uh, 
what was the thing unplugged where they had the guitar friends don't let friends get friends ha- friends don't let friends get friends haircuts i think it was Alice in chains and they were stewing the metallica chopped their hair off in 95 or 96 for the load album but all the guys like you know there was pit and seven matthew perry on friends and then cruise with that choppy blocky short haircut that's become like the de facto male haircut for 26 years that kind of doesn't change before that everyone had a part or a slick or a little sw- superman swoop in the front but then somewhere around 95 everyone decided we could just get that matte cut you know, just chop Choppy mat with clippers and then brush up the front part and kind of spike it. And that's become like the Colin Farrell and Jeremy Renner would be nowhere without that cut. But uh, Cruz was a little shorter, though, and people kind of bagged on the haircut. But like who who was ahead of their time there? Because that's all anybody's had for ever since. Um, yeah. And oh, and oh, and then Jerry, Jerry Maguire. I mean, come on. You know, it, he's like, like I said, he's like the emblem of our times. We're like, oh, we're there with you, Tom. We're there with you every step of the way. You insanely good looking dude who's fast talking and 33 years old. And, oh, oh, gee, can you turn things around? Who knows? You know, we wouldn't want any, any mishap to fall upon you. You know, it's just, we're just so in his corner. You know, he was like our hero. He's like our God. He's like our icon that we looked up to. And we just wanted to be positive and turn things around and get with Renee Zellweger and do wacky pranks with Jonathan Lip, Nikki and uh, buddies with Cuba gooding and he had that green that i had that same forest green shirt that he worked who wears in the help me help you scene and it, i would roll the sleeves up and kind of unbutton it so i'd look exactly like cruz except cruz doesn't have man boobs or a size 38 waist but uh i digress <laughs> and he takes two and a half years off he's two and a half years off because he's making eyes wide shut the most powerful movie of all time um no one knew what to think or no one knew what to make of it, it mainstream wise because they they thought it was billed as like fatal attraction or some you know china moon style <laughs> china moon there's a poll but you know those movies like whispers in the dark or uh, hand that rocks the crazy like kind of saucy erotic thrillers from the early 90s and people were expecting that or basic instinct or something and then it, it's like this full-on stanley kubrick you know illuminati orgy fest with you know a gaggle of supermodels being you know dragged around by guys in venetian masks it's so sinister and it's got the little two note piano thing and the little letter they leave for him and my favorite part when uh, it's so charming when Alan Cumming is kind of flirting with him and Cruz is playing into it and it's just so delightful he's just so powerful like Cruz isn't phased by this it's like so it's kind of like a sweet moment because it's so non-judgmental and we get such a kick out of Alan Cumming kind of mincing and so into Cruz and he's just lapping it up and loving it just like we are because like you know we all love Cruz man he's just he's delighting everybody you know he's bringing sunshine into our lives um and then uh should I wrap this up? Oh, yeah, there's... I don't know what he did in 2000. I don't think he did a movie. But then to wrap this up, because it's a logical place of, you know, here we've had 20 years, 20 years of pure positivity, good mood, the best hair, and he's like our our, ava- our avatar of what we want to be in life. And then you get to Vanilla Sky, which I, I would say is the logical culmination of early cruise, first 20 years of cruise. I'll do the second 20 another day, but this is just, you know, 81 to 2001. Vanilla Sky, I really, it annoys me when people say they like Abre Los Ojos more, the original, which is a really good movie. Terrific, don't get me wrong. But it's kind of a potboiler. It's a mystery, you know, and that's what it is. Cameron, by nature being by Cameron Crowe and incorporating Cruz and incorporating Kurt Russell, this movie deals with like all these pop culture images and like the iconography of like the second half of the 20th century, American 20th century through all these signifiers that like shaped who generation X was. And I know that's like super pretentious, but having Cruz there 
and experiencing this through him and as he's like losing it and we you know we get the Beatles and the Beach Boys and old cartoons we remember and incorporate Cruz's own home movies especially in that awesome last montage when he takes the, the leap and there's even a little funny wink in there when Noah Taylor checks his watch and it like that moment like that is so knowing because this is the ultimate ego movie of Cruz's like God and it plays up even like something like having Kurt Russell in it as this paternal figure for someone from Gen X who looked up to Cruz as kind of me and then looked up to Kurt Russell as like McCree and Snake Plissken and Jack Burton and Best of Times and all these things were like Kurt sort of was like kind of like Clint Eastwood or something where he was like the icon, the hero, like James Bond. He was like a hero. He was like a, not a father figure for sure, but just somebody older we looked up to and having Kurt in that that role. And just seeing it all through Cruz, you know, with the radio head and these two smoking hot uh, actresses at the height of their fame, you know, fighting over Cruz. It's the ultimate big ego journey through. And, you know, knowing a little bit about Cruz's personal life and his faith, there's a lot of that in there, too, mixed with Cameron Crowe's, like, obsession with music and pop culture. And it all comes together in just a movie that is, like, the encyclopedia, both of Tom Cruise and, like, our own shared pop cultural Gen X thing. And that's why I don't, when people are like, oh, it's a, well, it's a nice try, but it's no Aubrey Los Oh, it's not even going for the same thing. Like, the stupid mystery in that isn't anything in Vanilla Sky. It's experiencing life and the journey of, like, movies and music and TV and sports and everything through... <laughs> Tom Cruise, Cruise, Cruise. Oh, did I, I skip Magnolia? Jeez, man. Oh, man. Uh, it's going to be so anticlimactic after Vanilla Sky. I really should write this shit down. But Magnolia, he's never gone back to something like this. It hits so close to home. I'm sure he would play it off like, no, I was just doing some acting. But obviously, knowing a little bit about his dad and about Paul Thomas Anderson's dad, it's a very personal movie. And his performance as Frank T.J. Mackey is this like, one thing about it, I've never believed that Cruz grew up in the valley for some reason. I don't know. There's something about he he plays it very well, but I can't picture Cruz like I don't I don't know like going to school with uh, you know Johnny Lawrence or whatever in 1984. He just seems like something about Cruz just seems like he's from parts unknown. It's like it's not even that he's East Coast. Cruz is like Cruise Coast. It's like where this guy he's just Cruz. Like in Days of Thunder when he comes in through the smoke on the motorcycle and they go he's from Eagle Rock in California. Like what was he going to Ernie's Taco House when he was? I don't believe Cruz is a native Californian. I think a Cruz is just like he was beamed down from like fucking Voltron sent him down or something. I don't even know what that means. Um, yeah, but Magnolia, I should have brought that in before going to Vanilla Sky. But those two are kind of like the logical conclusion of the first run of Cruise because we got so much more ambitious. These, you know, big auteur movies and Eyes Wide Shut, you would throw in there too. Just playing these different like psychological angles and uh, sexual angles and stuff that are, you know, and things that hit close to home like his, his thing with his dad. And of course, he's got the hair all super long in Magnolia. And around that time, I tried to do that. And Mission Impossible uh, 2 in there too. God, how did I skip over those? I skipped over 2000. Well, uh, you know, it's Mission Impossible 2. He's, he's, uh, I like that one. Nobody else does, but it's one of my, uh, I, it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's my favorite of them because it's too silly, but it's definitely going for it with the big John Woo style. you going for gang, you know, going for broke with big villains there with Dugray Scott and Richard Roxburgh, Robert Rock, Richard Roxburgh, whatever it is. Um, the Doves, the Thandie Newton, um, 
big action and, and he's it's got the limp biscuit song i just i love that it has a limp biscuit and metallica song that soundtrack because you know cruise they had to run these choices by him and i just picture cruise in like a booth somewhere in hollywood in like 2000 they're like here here tom we're gonna play you this limp biscuit track and take a look around comes on and cruise is like he starts nodding his head with the big swings like he's like i dig it i dig it you know i, I like it i like it and he's like pumping his fist and then by the end he starts head banging or something i just would love to picture that anyway i blew the end of my own uh rant here by skipping uh, those two movies and going right to Vanilla Sky. Vanilla Sky being the logical end of this, obviously, 2001, 20 Years of Cruise. Um, I hope any of that was legible. It probably sounded like Spectrum on Parade, but uh, that's the effect. I did that without a single cut and looking at a single thing because I'm that obsessed with the, the uh, most important subject in the world, uh, the subject of Tom Cruise. All right, uh, that's it, and uh, hey, have a nice day. Have a good one, all right?